Hey everyone, this is Guns, and welcome to another episode of the Seed Table Podcast, where we try to explore what's going on in European technology. My guest today is Ferdinand Metzler, co-founder and CEO of Meeple, a Zurich-based company that develops accurate 3D virtual bodies and clothing models. Ferdinand's story is fascinating. After spending a semester in Hong Kong where he discovered the issues plaguing the fashion industry, he returned home, united a small team of engineers, and started the development of what would later become the foundation of the Meeple 3D body scan technology. In today's episode, we discuss Ferdinand's experience living in Hong Kong and how he views the East versus West dichotomy, how he came up with the idea for Meeple, why he's bullish on the Zurich tech ecosystem, how he thinks about culture and hiring, the impact of COVID on fashion and retail, and much, much more. We recorded this conversation just when the COVID-19 outbreak started being covered on mainstream media, so do keep that in mind as you listen. That said, our conversation is as relevant as ever. So without further ado, Ferdinand Messler. Hey Ferdinand, uh, how are you doing? I'm very good, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. So it's a pleasure to, to have you in the podcast. We went through uh, a bit of a hoop with the scheduling, but I'm really happy uh, to have you here. Why don't you start by telling me a bit more uh, about you, your background, uh, and your company, Meeple? Sure. So I'm Ferdinand. I'm the CEO and founder of Fission, and therefore also the product Meeple. And I come from a technical background. So I studied mechanical engineering at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. And then throughout the years at studying, I also made an exchange semester in Hong Kong, where I met one of our partners now. And when I was in Hong Kong, it was a sort of friend back then to me, but ultimately we built up a business relationship. And he is from a manufacturing background, clothing manufacturing, and he described me the problems of yeah, poor product market fit and also the ways and means to distribute clothing directly to the consumers and was figuring out that he has like one major shortcoming and that's a lack of knowledge on how the consumer is actually looking like. And uh, from that point onwards, we started building the idea uh, and then later on building the company, the team and everything that we have today. Why do you decide to start a company versus, let's say, getting a consulting job or going to academia? So uh, in Europe, sort of the default path for, for sort of great talent is it's not building a company. It's not starting a company. It's usually something that's usually safer. Like you mentioned that you sort of you're fascinated by building stuff. Like why is that? Why you, why you decide to start a company? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good uh, question. I mean, you obviously not always want to go through all the big troubles and then sort of want to choose the safer ways, which I can understand in some ways. I did actually once work for a fairly large corporate company and, and did an internship there for five months. And it's not that I didn't like it. It's just like I figured out that's not going to be that is something for me. And yeah, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, I would have definitely said like, I'm not going to start my own company, but uh, it evolved into something that I, I really wanted to try something out on my own and uh, build something around it. And here we are today. Why? So why did 
you decide to solve like this particular problem. You know, I understand you you worked uh, a bit in, in fashion before, and it could be argued that there are many, many different problems to solve in, in retail and, and fashion and clothing. Is there some weird combination or intersection of skills on your end that makes you sort of the right guy or the right team to solve this? I wouldn't say so. Like I think like the, the the sort of solving the problem comes with the team, and and like I have very good people that work with me, and 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 I also think that the people is the key to 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 bring a solution uh, to the market. But ultimately, how do I think about the whole approach? Why do you want to um, operate in this area? I think like it's almost a commodity problem. So. Clothing is something everyone needs and uh, return rate, especially with online businesses, is something that everyone is faced with. And I wanted to make an impact and I wanted to make a, a positive impact and directly bring a solution uh, to the table. And this is what we are doing today. And I think like you don't have this direct problem solving when you go into consultancy or when you work for a large corporate. Where it might be the safer way, but you are ultimately just a, another piece in, in the whole machinery. And then with the startup, you can basically decide on which problem you want to work and then uh, put your whole focus towards it. How did you come up with the idea? Was that your, your co-founder? Was that some previous experience? Essentially, this, this friend that I met in, in Hong Kong, he described me like, wouldn't it be great to even be able to make uh, customized uh, garments for an individual person? And then I've been thinking about it and thinking about it. And I remember it, uh, I was sort of in the flat in Hong Kong and thinking about it and like, well, what do we need to do? And uh, I realized like, if you're going to measure yourself, that's not going to, that's not going to fly because uh, I previously worked at a company where we did this and uh, this didn't really work out. So we needed to come up with a, a different solution and what is better to, to have a picture-based uh, solution because pictures don't really lie. And uh, hmm. that was the main motivation. And then back in the days, we thought like way too complicated about things and like wanted to have a reference object in there and uh, whatnot and, and made a, a very complex procedure and then ultimately came down to, to the point and said like, all we need is body height in two pictures, and that's about it. And uh, ever since, we have, we've been following that path. Let's talk about your technology for a bit, because it's, it's very, very impressive. As you said, body height, two pictures, and that's it. So let's talk a bit about your technology, how it came to be, like, where are the uses are you giving it right now? Sure. So essentially what we built at, at Meeple, is a technology that allows you to measure based from based on two input pictures and the body height as a, as a reference measure obviously like in the background it's fairly technical and and fairly scientific uh, on what is happening i think like to go along the steps the the first one is basically teaching a machine what is actually a person in the picture and what is background so this is like the first thing that you need to figure out fairly accurate once you figure that one out, then basically our secret source uh, starts to play in and that's reconstructing a 3D model based on those uh, two pictures or let's say the segments of the pictures that we, that we got from the user. 
and then we reconstruct this 3D model. And once we have the 3D model, we can then measure it in various different ways. And, and really we see this as the, the core base of, of everything that we do. And from those 3D models on the one side, we can uh, take the body measurements, uh, which we, for instance, in one use case, can use to make uh, made to measure garments. Or in a second uh, use case where we combine this, this body data with uh, garment data, they have a given size and set, we give size and fit recommendations. And ultimately the third technology that we operate with is something that we call the virtual dressing room, where you combine the 3D avatar from the person together with 3D clothes, such that you get a visual interpretation of size and fit directly on your body. And where you can also combine different styles and, and see how this jeans is looking to, like together with uh, the shirt and you get a, an overall feeling on how the garment is actually fitting your, your, uh, your body itself. And for retailers, I'm guessing retailers uh, are, like online retail, retailers are your best clients. Uh, what kind of inefficiencies are Ollie sol solving for them? What kind of impact do you have on their business? Sure. Uh, so the first big inefficiency is reduced, basically, return rate. And we can, with our solution, uh, reduce this return rate. So typically, e-commerce uh, providers or e-commerce companies are within the e-commerce channel faced with around 50 plus percent of returned goods, which well, is a huge cost point on, on, their, on their side. And also just to give you a little bit of a, of a reference on like what sort of impact can you make on a, 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 on a commercial side, if you reduce the return rate, let's say from 50 to 49%, you saved 1% more on the bottom line from your revenues. So like it has a direct impact. So this is the first problem that we solve. And the second problem that we solve is increasing the conversion rate. So typically those e-commerce brands and platforms uh, pay quite a lot of money for user acquisition, being it from Facebook, from Google, or from other channels uh, to come to their platform and purchase goods on, on their platform. And uh, Ultimately, those conversion uh, levels are typically at around, I would say, anywhere between yeah, 1.5 to 5%. So like only within this range, uh, you want to feed them through. And you are able to feed them through. And what we want to do is like we really want to provide the confidence to do this in a more efficient way and also provide a user experience that is different than what you typically see out there today. Have you seen that, and this is just a random question, but um, that the time from first visit to purchase like has changed in any way for your clients? Because I'm, I'm thinking like there is an extra step right now, which is the virtual dressing room or the virtual fitting, essentially. Has that changed so, for your clients? So, so, so what we see is that the time spent on, on page, if you have engaging content, is, is almost double than if you have, let's say, just like typical pictures. And also has to do because like 3D and, and 3D representation is, is quite a new thing and people want to try it out. But also, ultimately also drives the whole interest of a person towards one with one specific item. And, and therefore we can also sort of, we, those, those, those two measures are, are almost correlated. So like time spent on, on, on page and conversion rate, if you look at it uh, on, on a statistical approach, and it's, it's, it's more or less uh, pretty hard correlated. 
What do you think it's the sort of the biggest barrier to adoption for this technology? Because uh, on paid, like, right, it looks like a no-brainer for me as a client, of course. And, and, as, sure. and as a store as well, like if I'm thinking about sort of the client and store, uh, client and, yeah, and store sort of relationship, it's a no-brainer for, for both parties. Yeah, I mean, there are challenges and, and, and we address them fairly open. I think um, the first one is in, in terms of usability. For now, we require people to be in, in, in skin type clothes in order to, to really uh, see how their, their body is, is being formed and uh, that we can also reconstruct it in the most accurate way. I think like long term, we are working on solutions that get rid of uh, that um, usability problem the second one is that the brands also needs to, or let's say that the e-commerce shop needs to have some sort of data backbone. So like if you want to do, for instance, size and fit recommendation across the whole platform, uh, you need to have knowledge on like what does the product look like and uh, we in, in, in uh, most of the cases actually uh, see that there is a little bit of a lack of standard and, and the lack of understanding of data. Uh, and we are trying on our side to, to bridge that gap uh, that is existing there, uh, but ultimately uh, that's slowing down uh, progress and, and implementation speed. Let's go backwards a bit. Um, you mentioned this idea that came up talking with a friend in an apartment in, in Hong Kong. First, how's living in Hong Kong? Like, what's something unexpected about living in Hong Kong? It's very clean, actually, enormously clean. That one I didn't expect. People are very friendly. And, and actually, Hong Kong is culture-wise, I wouldn't say, that much different to, to Western part uh, since, yeah, UK had its influence over there for, for quite a bit of time. I think it, it's fairly modern. Public uh, services is, is working like beyond anything I've seen or like I imagined. The food is great. Yeah, uh, yes, it's absolutely. <laughs> the food is fantastic. Yeah. The food is fantastic and uh, yeah, the, the Cantonese kitchen is something I would uh, recommend everyone uh, to be there. I think like, I liked it over there and, and I think like the surprising part also was, I was there in, in 2014 uh, when this umbrella revolution also happened. Uh, and uh, it was also sort of interesting to see like how it was covered in, in Western media and how it actually was. So how I experienced it was like fairly peaceful. Uh, back in the days and um, in the western media it was described like all hell is gonna break loose but uh, that, that wasn't really the case and um, the, the protest was then sort of dragged out and yeah that was that was the time in, in Hong Kong. Very, very interesting like uh, you mentioned uh, how the western media covers some like sometimes covers uh, Asia or, or the east Particularly now with COVID, uh, like there's this at East versus West thing. Do you think that living in Asia like gave you a different perspective than someone like me would have? Like I've, I spent a couple of months in Japan, but that's, yeah, I went to Singapore, a bunch of other places, but I've never actually lived in Asia. I don't know, like if, if you have a, a sort of scientific or engineering mindset, you, you take everything with a grain of salt. So uh... I think like from, from that perspective, not that much really, really changed. And also with, with COVID and, and, and all the stuff that is happening right now, I'm by far not the expert and, and also really can't, can't really say on, on like, is it, is it going to have, let's, like, is, is the one side right or is the other one uh, side right? Like, obviously there are different views. Um, 
like when I, when I consume those sort of media, I always say like there is some sort of truth in, in, in everything. It's just like to you or up to an educated reader to make uh, the judgment on <laughs> which, which part of the story uh, to believe from which uh, sort of story. Yeah. Do you still consume Asian media? Just curious. A little bit, not excessively, but just like if, if you really want to know what is, what is going on locally, uh, I sort of re read some, some uh, Asian media, yes. When you were over there, like, were you able to experience like the taxing in Hong Kong? Or were not really a part of it? Not directly, since like the, the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology is a little bit outside of town. So it's like almost its own campus. And it didn't really experience the, the tech scene itself in Hong Kong that much. I also think that does have the, the, the far bigger tech scene over there. But I haven't been... Um, to that part and, and I think like it was just in the upcoming back in the days and uh, it's, it's doing pretty well right now. Cool. Well, okay, let's, let's go back to the apartment and that conversation you had uh, with your friends. So from a chat over a few years to an actual company, like there's quite a bit in the middle, right? Yeah. Like, tell me about those sort of first steps and how you went from idea to actual, actual execution. <laughs> So like after the sort of idea talk with, uh, within a couple of years, I like had this yeah, thinking process of coming up with an approach. Like how would I technically solve it? And back in the days, it was like the main purpose was not to build all the solutions and the, the, the 3D body. Uh, it was to give plain and simple size recommendations. Um, so we started from that perspective. And once I sort of figured it out in my mind how I would do it, um, I just put the, the stuff together, put it on, yeah, put it on paper. Uh, like I remember I had like three written pencil notes uh, sheets and called the, the friend's name is, is Gerhard. He is also now a board member of ours. So call him and say like, look, I got an idea. I think like I solved it at least theoretically. Let's let's discuss it. And he was like, okay, come to China uh, in two weeks time. And then I can also give you a tour of the manufacturing side. And we talk about it and organized a, a visa, went over to China and discussed the plan and said like, and we are going to found a company with this and I will be responsible for the whole team and the whole operations and you will be responsible for providing us with the money that we need to found the, 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 the first couple of months and to be financed throughout the first year. And he was like, okay, let's do it. And when I came back to Zurich, I founded the company and basically um, built the company from there onwards. Let's talk about building a company in Zurich first. And this is a question I tend to ask friends quite a bit. What's the restaurant or the coffee shop or the bar that would make sort of a tourist fall, fall in love with Zurich? Oh, that's a good question. As, um, not really a foodie per se. So that's what fine. I would recommend, what I would recommend is, is going to, to Bellevue. So it's like the, the lake area in Zurich which is pretty nice and, and uh, especially in summer uh, a place uh, to definitely go and there's this Sternengrill uh, it's almost an imbis shop uh, where you can get uh, a Zürcher Bratwurst and some really really spicy mustard so I would recommend 
uh, going there and, and getting one of those if you're not well, a vegetarian. <laughs> well, it's 10.30 a.m. I'm not a vegetarian. That sounds delicious right now. <laughs> but let's, let's talk a bit about building uh, a company in, in Zurich. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by what you would call like tier two like tech hubs and that could be zurich munich for instance like everywhere outside paris and london and berlin essentially how is it mm -hmm. like building a company in, in zurich like what are the main challenges that you face hiring especially in our area so like we we have experts in the space of computer vision computer graphics and machine learning we can sort of recruit them from the Swiss Federal Institute of, of Technology, but we are in direct competition with Google, Facebook. So Oculus is here, then Microsoft has a huge thing. Amazon just opened up something. So hiring-wise, it's not that easy, and 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 like, it's, I think like it's not the, like one of the, the the challenging points is I think like we get great people. But we also need to pay excessive amounts because all the others are, are driving up the So is that how you solve the problem? Like you had to sort of up the salaries? Partially. I think like you need to be somewhat competitive. You also need to uh, give them some sort of stocks on the, on the company itself that they can also benefit if, if the company is growing. Uh, but ultimately, I think like it's also a culture that, that you that you have, and um, also over the years you build up a name um, within Zurich and especially within the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, such that people start to know you, and, and that's that's coming in pretty positive on our side. Given that you're you're sort of providing uh, so a great salary, stock options, a great sort of working culture. What's what's your hiring process like? How do you filter, let's say, for people who are just in it for the money, for instance? Like, or what do you prioritize when hiring? Uh, I mean, if there's people just in it for the money, uh, I don't think that they will uh, come come a far way with us. Like. I think like hiring process, it's like we sort of have a standard hiring process that you do. Um, let's say our first CV screening, see like what could actually be suitable and whatnot, then have a first interview that is non-technical just to get to know the person and see if it's a go or no-go in terms of culture. And then go through the, uh, I think like we have four technical interviews, but like not on four different days, but, but more or less uh, yeah. in, in one day. And then another like brief roundup interview with like always different persons and afterwards compile all the information and make a decision together. That, that's how we currently do the, the hiring. And also like, uh, I think like one of the, one of the parts you also need to uh, tell them like, like, this is where we stand as a company and uh, be transparent about it and uh, tell them the truth on, on how you see things. And then like, I think like, in, in terms of coming together, it's not uh, a company offering a job. I, I don't really see that like that. I think like we come to an agreement that we want to work together. And I think like that's, that's a very important uh, part. I think like um, it, it's important for me that the people that are working with me are working with me because they want to work with me, not because they have some sort of dependency, being it money or, or, or something else. I think like there, there needs to be an intrinsic motivation of, let's say, 
building the stuff and then really putting something into the market that, that can make an impact. So you mentioned you have a bit of, uh, not trouble, but uh, the main challenge is, is hiring in Zurich. Uh, now with COVID, essentially we are all remote, right? We're recording this, you're in Zurich, I'm in Argentina, like, and you can really, can't really tell, right? How do you think about that for the future? Are you even considering just staying remote or getting some people remote? Can that sort of alleviate the sort of hiring challenges? Or do you think that for a product as technical as yours, like being in the same room, talking about challenges, problems, solving stuff is, is, is crucial? I don't think that like it's 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 crucial, and I think like the the, the we also had some sort of eye-opening effect when we said like okay, COVID is happening. Like there's nothing you can do uh, from tomorrow onwards. It's gonna be home office, and from one day to another, we said like okay, it's gonna be home office, and people went home, and it just operational wise just continued like there was nothing happening, and I was like, okay. That's rather positive, but I also think like besides that, I think like what people are uh, missing most is the personal contact. So uh, it's sometimes nice to uh, just be very efficient and, and type your stuff down that you need to type down and talk to the people only when you really need to talk to the people. But I also think like in terms of uh, culture and in terms of motivation, one of the, the crucial elements is is actually having like, the, the personal contact. And I always say like it's people's business because the people ultimately make your business. And I think like there's a human interaction uh, that you can't yet, I would say, uh, do virtually as good as, as, as if it's real. Obviously like with, with Slack and Zoom and, and all these conferencing tools, you can make your way around it. But ultimately I still think like the, the good stuff that you experience with it and like the good stuff that you come uh, across when you when you do those things i think like probably it might be even better if it's an afterwards again real and like you just uh, take the good stuff and even try to make it better uh, afterwards so i think like it's a long uh, learning process as for like does it make a, an impact on on hr I do think that if you allow home office and if you allow the people to stay and, and work from home, uh, gives them a little bit more flexibility. Ultimately, how we do it as a company is we leave it up to the uh, to the uh, to the people and and say like, look, if you want to stay at home, please please stay at home. If you want to come to to the to the office, um, by all means, um, feel free to. And that's I think like also a motivation factor uh, for um, for for the hiring process. Seems you think quite a bit about empowering your employees, hiring the right people, making sure there's some intrinsic motivation. How do you like? How do you think about culture? I think like I can't define just like culture in 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 one sentence. I think like I can tell you what what is important to me and and what I what I try also as, as one of the management members within the company try to to live within the company. And one of them is like, it needs to be fun. Like if it's not fun, like it's, it's gonna be a drag and every now and then you need to be able to make a joke and laugh about things. Even if the situation that you're currently in is really not funny, uh, but you need to sort of make your way around it. So like that, that's one uh, very, very important uh, factor um, that, that I see. I think like in general, like, like I said before, it's people's business. I think you need to have respect. You, you need to respect everyone. 
And uh, yeah, they have like different opinions and different ways and means and you need to respect each other. And I think like if you have that sort of foundation, you can build something great together. And yeah, I think like combining it with, let's say then afterwards, also the efficient side of things, like I think on our side, the people are also motivated to really get the job done. Like they want to make an impact and that's something that is, I would say, almost built in our DNA to really build a solution that afterwards really makes the impact that is desired from the market, but also uh, from the whole environment. I mean, this is not something that we only do for the money. I mean, you look at the whole carbon dioxide and emissions that have been, that, that could be reduced alone by reducing the return rate. Um, that's an immense uh, motivation factor for us. Do you think your clients care uh, sustainability and reducing emissions as much as you do? Or do you think they're more on the bottom line? I mean, at least publicly they do. Uh, <laughs> There's usually a difference between public and sort of the inner workings of a company. <laughs> I think like in terms of management and management decisions, the bottom line, that's the dictation, definitely. So if you don't have an impact on the bottom line, I don't think that like our business model would fly. On the other hand, I think also that I would say the sustainability factor becomes more and more important as it becomes more and more important for their users. Therefore, they need to adapt yeah. towards it. So I think like there's the pull is not directly coming from the clothing brands themselves. Like there are some that really are pioneers in this area, but ultimately on the the broad scale, the pull is coming from the user by saying like, is it sustainable or not? And uh, tell me if it's sustainable, how? That makes sense. What's the impact of COVID-19 on retail and retail tech? I think like one, and, and, and probably I would say, like, I think like obviously the, the, the negative impacts are like you, you can't go to local stores and, and buy clothing. I mean, they, they are closed now and uh, that's going to hurt quite a lot of brands quite subst uh, substantially. And the positive thing is like, that's not the only channel you can sell products today. Like luckily there is the internet. Luckily there is something like e-commerce where you can actually sell your products um, even beyond, let's say, local stores. So obviously the, the local stores are quite quite negatively impacted by, by COVID and uh, that's not really our direct user group or let's say the, the, the type of problem that we, we want to solve. So like we are more operating in, in the e-commerce business. And that ultimately brought even the, the biggest critics uh, of, let's say, online versus offline to the realization that you actually need to start investing into online more uh, because that's who are those biggest sort of critics like luxury brands like who are the sort of the biggest critics i mean to sort of look at it like i don't think that luxury brands they the large ones they understand that they need to play on both levels but for instance if you look at um the, the whole outdoor industry, for instance, they are lacking behind, for instance, on, on, on every single e-commerce shop. And there is then on the other side, Zalando, uh, for instance, or, or like those multi-brand retailers that are just like in a very, very strong position right now. 
to to build up the business and because where are you going to buy the stuff like you need to have an experience it needs to be easy it needs to be a service provider within your country those platforms are, are ultimately gaining at the moment so you think this is sort of a lesson that for, for some uh, companies i wouldn't say lesson it's it, it's a catalyst yeah. Maybe not it's the right just, choice of words. It, 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 it's going to speed certain things up. And obviously, like, I'm not the one that, that tells the people, like, look, I have told you so in four years. Um, a lot of people do uh, do that. And a lot of people told me so four years as well. So that's the, the way it goes. I think, like, it's the whole digitization process that you see within those companies. And, and generally, the clothing industry is actually a little bit behind the whole i would say development within digitization um, that one will be ultimately speed up why do you think like clothing was is one of the slowest industries like what, what are the sort of weird dynamics or incentives that, uh, that are causing this it's actually a, a good question uh i i made this theory uh, uh with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago I think like clothing industry was a industry that was always a moving industry. So you made the stuff wherever it was the cheapest and like that was the main objective. And you were just like focusing from moving one part uh, to, to the next uh, location, to the next location, to the next location. So it used to, it all used to be back in Europe. Like you had uh, the manufacturing, the mills, everything was, was based in Europe where also the demand was. And then ultimately, once supply chains gotten more efficient and also where, let's say, labor costs were in other countries way lower than in Europe, it moved. And from that point on, it just like moved, 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 moved from one place to another. And if you can go out of the way and, and say like, we don't need to solve the problem because it's still working. I think like that's one of the, the reasons that the whole industry is actually a little bit behind because they never needed to to face the, the problem directly. And I think to a certain extent, uh, COVID-19 is, is a wake-up call. And do you think companies will then have to consider this sort of strategy of moving, 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 uh, and sort of reassessing their supply chains? Absolutely. I mean, where do you move? Like, <laughs> at, at one point, you need to answer the question like, is it worthwhile moving from one place to another? Or um, like, I think like one of the, the key breaking points within that will be the optimization of manufacturing. So clothing nowadays is, is extremely labor intensive, as I said before. And there are certain developments, for instance, in the knitwear space, where you can already have finished product coming out of one machine that is completely produced automatic. And I think we, we're going to see more of that in the future. I think like they're the first uh, couple of examples. So like there's a, a German knitwear, uh, the knit machine producer called Stoll, South German company. And what we ultimately do with them is, for instance, we give them the measurements of the person and they can knit a fully automatic custom knit pullover. And without any manual labor involved. And you can position those machines actually where the demand is in the long run. So if you have, let's say, knitwear demand in Northern Germany, 
by all means buy 10 of those machines and put them somewhere in northern Germany and let them do their, their job fully automatically. So it's not really any more dependent on labor costs, but it becomes more dependent on short lead times, uh, customizations, additional services that you can provide to, to the user. So like the user is becoming more and more aware of those things. I think uh, that's a great uh, note uh, to end on. Is there like work and readers or listeners find you? Sure. Uh, so we have a, a homepage, um, uh, meeple.com, M-E-E-P-L.com. And um, if you want to have more information about what we do and, and what we can provide you as a service and especially customized services uh, for your specific use case, just drop us a note. I think that we have contact forms and, and phone numbers directly on the homepage and every sort of information that, that you would need to extend it way is, is on our homepage. Perfect. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time, Ferdinand. Uh, I'm looking forward to visiting Zurich, having some of that spicy mustard. And we'll, we'll chat soon. Perfect. Thanks for having me. Hey, this is Gons again. If you enjoyed this episode of the CTL podcast, please let me know by leaving an honest review. If you want to get more good stuff from me, subscribe to SeedTable.com. SeedTable is a weekly newsletter on European technology. It goes out every Friday morning and it's read by thousands of founders, investors, and operators. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time. Ciao.